Welcome to the Hands in Motion podcast, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. Here we will discuss all things upper extremity therapy, from assessment to treatment, the latest research, the patient experience, and other topics related to the field of upper extremity rehab. Learn more and subscribe today at ASHT.org. Welcome back to Hands in Motion. We are starting a new series on upper extremity prosthetics. And to kick the series off, we are joined today by Haley Van Escobar. Haley is an occupational therapist and a certified hand therapist who has a unique opportunity to work for a prosthetics company that specifically addresses partial hand amputations. She shares with us how she transitioned into this role and how a hand therapist is a vital team member when addressing partial hand amputations. Welcome to Hands in Motion. Haley. Well, Haley, we are so excited to have you on the podcast this evening. Why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for inviting me. And it's just so much fun to join you both. And you know, when you come into a Zoom room and you're like, oh, this room has a good vibe. That's what I'm experiencing right now with you two. Because <laughs> we're all of the same kind of build and makeup. So Let's see. Thank you for inviting me, as I said. And my name is Haley Van Escobar. And I get people back to doing what they love to do. And part of that is putting a prosthetic hand on their hand sometimes. I work for Naked Prosthetics. I'm involved in many different projects, but that is my primary employment. I'm also an educator. I'm an AOTA approved provider of professional development. And I like to research day trading and I also like dog training. So any topics, my other hobby is paper quilling. We can talk about anything that comes to mind as far as I'm concerned. And what was the question? Did I answer it? <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. We've learned about your hobbies. <laughs> yeah, I'm an OTCHT and I have just over a decade of experience as a hand therapist I really found that I love initiating and developing new programs. That was not something I knew about myself when I was a student, but the situation just opened up for me as a new therapist. And I actually, I had a, about a year of intense mentoring working in a hand clinic. And then I started opening clinics. I started a hand practice for a surgeon group. And wow, that was what a chance for growth and development. And I was intensely mentored by the hand surgeon there. So I certainly can't take all the credit for it being successful because it was very much a team effort and within a physical therapy department. I learned many things doing that on my own and having to be the singular responsible hand therapist for a large surgeon group. And I have mentored, I trained a replacement, and then took an opportunity to build another clinic within a therapist-owned group. So I have a really kind of diverse background, and I mentored a, a therapist there as well. I've learned that having worked by myself, I love other OTs and PTs in particular, and hand therapists. Just as a general statement, I really enjoy collaborating with people of our profession. And now I get to work. I am building a program. I am the only OT certified hand therapist for Naked Prosthetics, and I'm building their program there from the therapy side. So I do get to collaborate and consult with other hand therapists, which is, again, as I said, one of my favorite things to do. And a large portion of it is education because what's happening in the field of prosthetics is there's all this innovation in 3D printing, manufacturing, supplies, 
all of these things are changing and the options are just becoming things that never existed before are now on the market. So many therapists don't know much about what's available. And that's one of the portions of my roles at this place. So how did you get into naked prosthetics or become involved with naked prosthetics? You know, my first exposure to them was early on in their path as a manufacturer. And I was able to assist in fitting a multi-digit device, which they now work exclusively delivering to a prosthetist for several reasons, which we can talk about if you're interested. But at the time, I was able to connect all of the pieces and they actually sent someone to fit the patient in my clinic. This might have been because I was in a, a healthcare desert. I mean, it, that might have been part of the dynamic that was going on. But it was amazing. This particular case, he had lost four digits, I think at the proximal phalanx level, and he was a farm laborer. And it was devastating to his life because he was the bread earner for his family. And he could not conceive working in any way, shape or form without intervention. So I experienced that side of it as his therapist walking through just managing the healing and the acute care and then trying to get him back to work. And it was critical to have prosthetic intervention for his case. Now, I have seen many cases that don't need prosthetic intervention, which is a whole other look at the story. Not everybody needs it and not everybody wants it. But for those who, like for this gentleman, I remember his body language. He was shut down. He wouldn't make eye contact with me. His wife spoke for him the majority of the time. And we started getting this idea of, hey, we might be able to get an option for you, a tool, give you some fingers back for lack of a better way to say it. And it's like he just woke up. It's like this person inside of him, like his awareness came back. So that was probably my first exposure to them, in addition to seeing them at ASHT's national conference and possibly at AOTA. They do attend many as a vendor at many of our conferences. So how did I join them? So they were seeking a certified hand therapist to join their clinical team. And I saw their posting on the ASHT job board. And it was like the lineup of the millennia for me, because I was like, wow, this is innovation, which I love. These people care about patients and getting them back to what they love to do. So I knew the culture was a really nice fit. And before the pandemic, they did virtual work because they deliver devices all over the US and in Canada, across Europe, and even New Zealand. And they're branching out into further areas like South Africa. And to support that, they do it virtually. So it was really during the pandemic that it all came to be a role for me to step into. So tell us a little bit about about that role, or maybe even your day-to-day -day, or what a week looks like for you as a CHT working for a prosthetic company? I will say it is unique and exciting, and the learning curve is steep, which I think is fairly normal, right? When you enter into a company that has never had a hand therapist on staff, and everyone around you is just brilliant. They're probably going to listen to this, so I'm going to embarrass myself here, but I am surrounded by very brilliant people who I learn new things all the time. 
what some of my favorite discussions are with the design engineers and I will bring them a functional situation and they'll explain what can be done in the physics design situation. So it's fascinating how that works. And then we basically collaborate and make a path to make a great fit for a person. So we're always on that same look at cases, basically, what is going on in this person's life. But before I get too far ahead, about half of my job is clinical consulting work where I am zoomed in or on a Microsoft Teams call and I look at someone's hands and they could be in Michigan or Florida or wherever the case may be. And I find out what they want to do. I find out a little bit of their story, if they're healed, what their medical situation is. Have they worked with a therapist? Many times I'm promoting our profession, trying to get these people into a therapist because they've been not referred for whatever reason. So I speak with them. I learn about the person as much as I'm able to and as much as they'll share. And then I start working with the clinician who's there. And that's usually a prosthetist. Sometimes it's a therapist. And so I'm. that's a whole nother problem solving where we actually collaborate on therapy, co-work it, right? But with the prosthetist, then we talk designs. And the prosthetist brings incredible skill in how they look at putting a limb on someone. It's something that I'll just say for my colleagues out there, get to know the prosthetists in your area. They are so much like us. We have so much overlap. They're very much like our speech therapist counterparts, obviously PTs and OTs, we overlap so much. You know, we have a lot in common with this, but we bring our own unique lens and skill set. So what I am often struck by is with what grace and kindness the prosthetists interact with people who have gone through substantial physical trauma. So I don't know if we have time to go down this path, but I'll start by saying that the psychosocial aspect of limb loss is really intense. And even if it was 20 years ago, it might still be very intense for that person. So having a teammate in person who is able to read the room with me as I'm there virtually and walk through the steps with the person and be the, you know, there's a lot of encouragement and validation that someone needs as they heal from limb loss. So a coworker of mine once said, every person has their own definition of what makes them feel whole. And I think that's a really beautiful way to think about when we're putting a prosthesis onto a hand. It's this person's return of wholeness. And I can't define that for them, and neither can the prosthetist. But what we can do is say, this is what the design looks like. It's what it can do. Here's how it matches your goals. And here's how it doesn't match your goals. That is a big part of what I do is explaining how this particular design can do XYZ, depending on how many fingers are involved, what the task is, what the skill level is. And then I support them with any secret hacks on ordering process, which that's a joke. I'm laughing. I know you guys can't see my face. There are no secret hacks, but there are things that make the ordering process go better. And we are very upfront with them, but it's amazing because we're virtually doing this. They have to do a cast mold out of plaster. 
if they do it in the wrong position, the device can't be designed. And it takes one to two hours to make one of those. So just being able to help them, please do it in this position. It must look like this. It must have this length. It must have this detail means they can do it once instead of having to repeat that. So that's about half my job. And then the other half of the time, I get to educate other therapists and create content that is for that purpose. I also get to do a little bit of internal training. So the team I'm on, I'll tell you what, they know proximal, distal, radial ulnar. They're part of the care experience team. I mean, they're the ones managing orders and connecting people, and they know the anatomy. They speak so well about it. And they're they're really good at being person first. They're very conscientious about their language. And that's all very intentionally done. And so I'm always very honored that I get to be a part of teaching anatomy to everyone who needs to know in the company, what is the PIP joint? What is range of motion and how do you measure it? So I do a fair bit of educational material and training. And then every now and then you'll see me presenting for ASHT on the topic or sometimes local conferences. And I do occasionally get involved at my alma mater, Eastern Washington University. I'm calling you out. Please connect with me on LinkedIn. And (laughs) so that's the other side of it. And basically taking the common knowledge of what hand therapists know, and then this unique knowledge of this incredible prosthetic design and making it communicatable. And it's my understanding that I have never worked with a patient with a device from Naked Prosthetics, but it's my understanding that these are hand only or to what extent of prosthetics and devices do y'all work with? Very specifically, the partial hand amputation level. And That is the place that we must start because that's how prostheses are organized. So if you had a transhumeral amputation, for example, you would not be speaking to naked prosthetics because you would need a completely different device design with a computer built into it. And then we're talking about a myoelectric option, which is externally powered. If you're thinking more distally, even at the carpal level, If you have an amputation at the carpal level, you still probably would not look at naked prosthetics because there is not a thumb replacement made by them at this time. I always tell people the way this company moves is so fast and another year's time they may have one. So I look for this to change. But at the moment, when we say partial hand, we're talking metacarpal level and distal. So I'm telling you, you know, myself and my team, I'm on an amazing clinical team. We look at hand trauma all day and we see hundreds of cases of exploded hands, sepsis cases, starting to see some COVID cases, multi-digit, sometimes they're frostbite. A lot of it's trauma, a lot of it's press injuries. There is a remarkable amount of hand trauma out in the world. And I like to remind other hand therapists that we all get a little desensitized to it because we see it so much. But for that person who's got a Frankenstein hand, all of a sudden it's life-changing and shocking. 
it's hard to explain how weird that is for someone. It's always in the visual field. You know, our hands are pretty remarkable part of our body. Just stop me if I digress too far because I get excited about things. But if you think about your hands, right, that's how you interact with the world. It's how you make your cup of coffee in the morning or how you brush your teeth. Obviously, those basic ADLs. But you see how you guys can't see me on this recording, but I'm gesturing with my hands the entire time that I talk. It's something that I do, right? And so if you're perpetually being reminded of this traumatic incident that happened, it does something to your psyche. People comment on having a changed personality even after these injuries. And I'm not saying that putting on a prosthetic device changes that, but it may be a part of their recovery journey. It might be that that's how they start to feel confident about using that hand again. And everyone's journey is very different. So I always have to acknowledge that, that we see the whole widespread of sometimes we don't recommend devices for every digit that was shortened. And every now and then we have the opportunity to give advice to people with congenital hand difference. And that's such an interesting discussion because oftentimes they're getting older and they have terrible overuse injury from being incredibly proficient and independent in what they do. And now they're seeking out options to reduce the workload on their digits. So that's kind of the overview of what they make. It is for the metacarpal level and distal. And then it does come down to, let's just say that your amputations at the DIP, that is a particular design. It's not that they can take they have four designs. They can't take every design and put it on a digit that was amputated at the DIP. There is one design that works for that presentation and they customize it to that person's hand. So you're saying about everybody's journey, and I know we had spoken a little bit prior to our recording, but I had somebody who was referred for a prosthesis, three digits, and very excited to get the prosthesis, you know, went to the company, went through everything. And there happened to be another gentleman there at the same time that lost everything, like thumb, all digits. And he was training on the same schedule as this other gentleman and, you know, went through everything and got his prosthesis and was working with it in the clinic, did okay. You know, we ended up coming home and he, in our clinic at home, he sat down and he said, I'm not really that bad, am I? And I said, well, that's your perception. Like, I don't want to say that you're not bad because you lost three fingers. That's bad, you know? And he's like, the other gentleman that was there the same time I was, he didn't have any fingers. And at least I could use my hand. I could use my thumb and my little finger and I could still pick things up. So I think it was really eye-opening to him. And really, I think his journey ended up in a different place than where he thought it would be, (laughs) you know, like only because he was like, oh, I am kind of lucky because I do have at least my thumb and my little finger left. So that was just interesting as we came to the end of his training sessions at home. I mean, he would wear it, but I think he felt he could manage okay just with his thumb and his little finger. And 
prior to that, he was like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything. I'm completely disabled. And I think seeing somebody else that maybe had a little bit more of a complex injury really was kind of eye-opening to him. Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, I think this case had a myoelectric design, if it's the one that we spoke about earlier. And we should all know that myoelectric devices require commitment and training to adopt. And in fact, if they don't get substantial therapy intervention and training, the statistics of rejecting myoelectric are quite high. So there's always that side of it. But more to the point of your situation, there's something about peer support in the amputee community that is incredible. And I would love to see more of that in our profession in general, because as the hand therapist, we are the leader of this program they're going through. We're not in the program they're going through. And so, yes, we bond with our patients and we build, you know, they enrich our lives and I hope we enrich their lives. There's nothing quite like having a peer who's maybe three, four weeks ahead of you in the game who can say, hey, yeah, I remember that exercise and it was terrible and she is tough, mean and wicked. Not that they would ever talk bad about me, but, you know, they can do that (laughs) together. Right. And say, but you know what? It's easy now. There's just that beautiful piece of peer support that. I would love to see more of. I'm not sure how we make this happen in the world of insurance rules, but as far as amputees go, if you can ever connect them, it is a beautiful thing. My first thought, easy thing that comes to mind is there is a Facebook support group that was originated by Naked Prosthetics, but it's self-run by the members of the group. And it's caregivers, people with amputation, people who are interested in prosthetic intervention, hand therapists are welcome to join. So that is one avenue that you can easily recommend people explore if they're interested. You know, you think of amputee support groups, what comes to mind, lower extremity amputee support groups in my area, because there aren't a lot of upper extremity amputees. They're there, but not it would be nice to have an upper extremity support group because it is a little bit different than a lower extremity amputation. I think, I don't know. I just think it's a little bit different. They experience things a little bit different because it is a different limb than, than a lower extremity. Oh, a hundred percent. I like how you point that out because, you know, we don't use our feet the way we use our hands and yes, that's an obvious statement. Thank you, Haley, for coming on the podcast and saying (laughs) that, but (laughs) What drives me bananas is that we often see people measure the adoption rate the same, lower to upper. And it's you put on your leg and you're going to wear that your whole functioning day. And that's how that works. You're not maybe going to take it off and do something different. When you have intervention in the hand, you may put on that device and use it 100% of the time that you are typing and that it's how you type. But then you might take it off so that you can do power grasp or some other cylindrical or pick a thing, one of the functions of the hand that the device is not meant to do. But that doesn't mean, let's say you wore it four hours that day, it doesn't mean you didn't adopt that as a part of your routine in life. It just means that it's the upper extremity. It has different rules. So I appreciate that you pointed that out. It was a nice springboard for me to, it drives me crazy. It's not the same. (laughs) (laughs) Haley, you mentioned something earlier. You said that not everyone needs a prosthetic, nor 
does everyone want one? How, when you are consulting with these patients, how do you have that conversation? How do you frame that conversation of, okay, I hear you want to do X, Y, and Z. Is that realistic? Can we go further? Like, how do you gauge that? And how do you help the collective whole make that decision of how to proceed? Yeah. So, just as a practical bullet point for everybody listening, I love opening every session with, tell me what brought you here. And I keep it very vague and open because I want to know what brought you to this point. Sometimes people tell me, well, I got an Uber and they they answer me very literally. <laughs> very <That's> literally. literally. <laughs> And then I go, wow, they're a very literal person. Now I know that about them, right? <laughs> but I love hearing the story of what happened to someone because it tells me so much in-depth information about, I recently worked with an electrician who, after I believe he had a cut, developed sepsis and then became a quad amputee. And this gentleman, I mean, life-changing, right? And he wants to go back to work. And just the attitude of him speaking about work, acknowledging that it's going to be different, even I didn't have to prompt him. He was like, I know this is not going to look like it did before, but I'm here to get a prosthetic device so I can go back to work. And that tells me so much about that person's psyche and their, I suppose, reasonableness is what I'm evaluating as best I can, you know? And then I can say, sir, you have incredible goals that I think are amazing, and I want to help you do that. I want you to know that you may find intervention on the ring finger, which happens to be a little bit too long for this design, will only get in your way. And it is your hand. So if you want that, then it's your hand to put a device on but I'm here to tell you that it won't work well for this particular task that you may have in mind. So that's one version that happens. Sometimes I'll be speaking to someone and it's very much about, they'll express to me kind of a self-consciousness of the appearance of their hand. And I'll tell you what, the human eye is drawn to asymmetry. This is something we humans do. And the therapists out there, if you can just slowly teach this to people, that people aren't staring at your hand because it's ugly. They're not drawn to it because there's something wrong with it. It's this automatic eye movement that happens when there's asymmetry. And that will free them to not be quite so self-conscious about how they appear if that's an issue that happens. It is very common People tell me stories about how everyone asks what they did to themselves. And so they find themselves having to repeat these stories of how maybe a coworker didn't press the safety button, talk about trauma and interpersonal problems there, and now I lost my limb, right? And they're repeating this story over and over and over to people. And sometimes I'm suggesting that we really emphasize a passive functional device, which would be your cosmetic restoration, they are now made to be firm and have functional use. So they look like the natural hand, but they can give you some stabilization, some support. 
And it just, it disappears that issue of constantly having to explain what happened. So that's one aspect to think about. So how about another one? Every now and then, I'll work with someone who has very stiff fingers because they didn't listen to their brilliant hand therapist. And I know Mm -hmm. that just would never happen to anybody out there in the crowd. But every now and then, I'll pick one up. And I'll be like, have you seen a hand therapist? You'll be like, yeah, long time ago. I'll be like, well... (laughs) These are body-driven, so they will move like you move. It's not going to suddenly create motion. It's going to reflect what you have. So the choices are you can make a device, and those geniuses at Naked Prosthetics will design the joint to compensate for your stiffness. The problem is that if you make changes to the kinematics, you give up in some other area. The length may be different. The strength may be different. The better course would be to get the most motion you possibly can and then get fit for that. So I do a lot of coaching that way of like, well, if you can improve, you should improve. And here's why. You will have a very beautiful functional device that matches your hand. So that's one scenario. And let me see if I can come up with another. It's interesting, the variety of hands. Do you know that's something I don't know about you guys, but... I don't realize how much variety we experience as hand therapists. How long do you go before you have a repeat case, repeat life scenario, like something that's like, oh yeah, this is familiar, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Patient after patient after patient after patient comes in with these various scenarios. And even if they're all carpal tunnel releases, they have completely different life situations, which means their case is so different. And I find myself explaining that to people, which especially I've told you I've been a mentor. It's very difficult to learn the profession of hand therapy. What we need to know does not exist in textbooks. It exists in people's heads. And so when you're new, you have to go find someone who will unpack their brain for you and help you figure out your path with so many challenges and variety. But I digress. My last scenario, I would say would be you have choices. You're a great candidate for multiple choices. And I am very grateful that I'm able to say things like, I want you to have all of the different designs. You know, (laughs) I'm not directly related to the sales portion in any way. In fact, I recommend other companies if that's the best fit and design. And how about a good analogy? Like you have a pair of shoes and some insurance companies, like you get one pair of shoes for the rest of your life. Pick now. Are you going to pick the heels? Are you going to pick the steel-toed boots? Are you going to pick the running shoes? Like That's what we're making people do is narrow down to one tool to replace this multifunctional hand that they've lost. And that's not right. We shouldn't let them get away with that, people. We need to have our patients advocate for themselves that they deserve to have multiple devices. And as a side note, let alone what if they work as a masonry and they want to have a nice device to take care of their toddler when they get home that's not covered in cement. I think there's space and and discussion for that. So I do talk through a lot of those different scenarios. And then if someone has to decide, I give clinical opinion of, okay, you know, they'll say, what do you think I should do? I want all of this and my insurance will pay for one. And I'm always very humbled by those kind of questions because it's hard to jump in, right? And say, 
obviously I can't say here's what you would do, but I help people prioritize. It's just those basic therapeutic skills that we all have where, all right, zero to 10, let's talk about what is the most important, what is filling the most time in your day. Does it take you four hours to get ready for work and it's making you late every time? Maybe that's what we correct is the device that will do that. So when a patient or say someone in the community decides, hey, I've had this injury, I'm missing some fingers, or I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and they find out about naked prosthetics and go, I want to talk to them and I want to go through that process. What does the process look like for them? You mentioned earlier that they have to do a casting or a, a mold and they might have to do that at home. Like, What does that look like when they aren't close to a center where they can go in and have this done? Yeah. So the very easy thing to do would be to contact Naked Prosthetics, info at npdevices.com. That is going to be your target email address. You send it there, they respond and will help you. They will work hard to connect you in the, the right places. What we usually do first is connect that person with a prosthetist. So Naked Prosthetics has this incredible knowledge of the network of prosthetists which interestingly is roughly the same size as number of CHTs. So their whole profession is somewhere in the seven to 8,000 person range. And if you think about physical therapists, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're around 250,000, 240,000. Occupational therapists, 130,000, the last time I looked up these numbers. And then certified hand therapists are going to be around 6,300. Feel free to fact check me, everyone. But those are the rough <laughs> numbers. Sounds good to me. No, they sounded good, right? Yeah, those are the rough numbers to give this perspective of like there are thousands and thousands of OTs and PTs, and the prosthetists are a smaller crowd. And so the first thing is to find them and to go meet them. And that is usually not a charged appointment. This is a really different profession than ours. You don't have to get a doctor to refer you necessarily. You could go interview the prosthetist and see if they're a good fit for you, which is not a dumb thing to do because if you get an intervention of a design, you'll need that the rest of your life and you will be going back to that person. <laughs> so find out about the clinic, find out what it's like. Does it work for what you're looking for? and have an evaluation with them. And that's where Naked Prosthetics gets plugged in. So you would say, hey, I'm interested in this design. They would say, ah, info at NP Devices. I'm going to contact who I know over there. And then they schedule a meeting, usually with someone from the clinical team, to discuss the options that are available. And then it goes from there. So again, if there was a therapist involved, then I am always there to support them. If they have any questions, if they want to problem solve something, if they want to just discuss the ins and outs, that's where I plug in. But if assuming that's all stable and they're ready for intervention, then we decide what the design is. And many times people wait for authorization. So that's just a sad fact that we all have to deal with. Nobody likes it, but we go through that process with insurance this is covered very well by workers' comp L&I types of insurance. It is recognized that intervention with impartial hand cases gets them back to work, which is why it's covered so well. As we look at Medicare and private payer, we do anticipate denials into this process. So it doesn't mean that they're not going to cover it. It's just that we see this frequent pattern of asking for more information. Oh no, this is experimental. 
which all you have to do is say, nope, it's not experimental. It's in the research. Here's the evidence we have, which we can share. We have that on the website, but also it can be emailed if you would like that. And so you go through your appeal process. And I'm always very optimistic about the peer-to-peer because we win. If we get a real person, if we're not talking to this strange machine called the insurance system, then we say, hey, they lost their finger. Let's give them a finger back. And they say, yeah, that's a great idea. So I always give them the benefit of the doubt because I truly feel that insurance companies don't understand much about what we say when we request things. And when we can speak to a real person, I've just seen amazing things happen for people. So that's that part of the process. Then the ordering occurs and you should be prepared for one to two hours with your prosthetist with the help of someone from my team or if they're experienced and they do it on their own, right? We don't shadow everybody once you know what how to do it. There's a ring sizing process. There are photos in a particular way that must be taken. And some of the designs require a plaster cast. So that all occurs. It's all sent to Naked Prosthetics. And then five to seven weeks for it to be made to that person. And then it is shipped to them. And it is usually, it is attempted to be the definitive product on arrival, which is actually unusual in the prosthetics field. Usually there are test sockets is what they're called, a test device. It's not quite comparable to thermoplastics because we would just take the heat gun and remold something if we had to. But the materials that are made to last for three years being used in like construction work. So you're not taking a heat gun to this stuff. It has to be fit to them correctly and customized. And then We also support people on the fittings and then if anything needed to be revised, like for example, I was helping a case and they, I think they lost 20 pounds over six weeks while we were waiting for insurance off. And we were like, what happened to you? Like, this is not the right, we're like, was this the wrong hand? What? Because the device was huge on this person's finger and it's just that they were like, oh yeah, I've, I've dropped 20 pounds. I started doing CrossFit or something like that. And, and so their device had to be remade because if it doesn't fit, then it won't maintain suspension, obviously. Wow, that's fascinating. Quite a route to get to that terminal device. Yeah, and I think it's worth it. I think we do live in an instant culture, don't we? Where people are increasingly impatient, is that what I would say? So I like to remind them of it's a blend of art and science that's going into creating these. And you fit it for someone's hand. It won't fit anybody else's hand. I mean, I suppose it might be someone close to it. But especially if there's more than one digit involved, that's nobody else's device. That's for that person. Yeah. The customization aspect of this is huge and, yeah, very meaningful to that person, I'm sure. Especially when their hand doesn't look probably like their opposite or what people would typically say is normal. And so for it to be customized, whether they have two fingers, three fingers, half a finger, whatnot, the customization and the time that it takes to get that detail so that they can perform whatever activity it is or work skill. And just to see, you know, at the end using the device, you know, where they couldn't feed themselves before and now they can hold the fork back in their hand and cut a steak or a piece of meat. And, you know, because like I said, when I went through this process with a patient of mine, they brought lunch 
and wanted the people that were there, okay, use your prosthesis. You're going to eat your lunch now. So they gave them functional activities to do, not just that. I mean, other things as well, but, you know, to see them say, oh, look, I can do this again where I'm so used to doing it with one hand or have somebody do it for me. It was very rewarding to see them just be so grateful to be able to use their hand again. Yeah. And on that note, those therapists, when you get referred a patient who has a device or needs one, I want you to jump up and down because that means you get to bring in, like she said, lunch. Like, let's bring (laughs) things into the clinic. Bring in the saxophone. I'm a musician prior to being a hand therapist, right? I want to see you play this instrument. Let's problem solve it together. I can't crystal ball that without actually seeing it, right? So, draw them into your clinic, even if you're only seeing them one, two, three times, and then you send them on their way and say, go build me a birdhouse or go do paper quilling, right? Like in my case, or go do something you love to do and tell me what happened. Did it work? Did it not work? That's really some beautiful high-level activity analysis that you get to do. And that's what informs you is this, number one, does it fit? That's the first step is getting perfect fit. Number two, Do we need to adapt the task, right? Everyone listening to me is an expert in this part of it. And number three, is this person embodying the device? I love that term. So many times people start out telling me what happened to them. And we put a customized prosthetic design on their hand. And now the story is about what they can do. Don't miss that change for that person. They're no longer telling people the victim story they're talking about check out this cool tool on my hand that i can now do name a thing buttons and holding a knife and fork but let's aim higher right life would be awfully dull and gray if all we talked about was brushing our teeth and typing work in adls (laughs) a lot more to life so And that's what we do as hand therapists, right? That's why I am just so proud to be a hand therapist. I I really kind of rub it in people's faces. I think they get a little annoyed with me, but it's such a cool profession. Like think about, I help a few people learn what to do and they go help tens to hundreds of people with that information and all those hands doing things in the world. Like it's exciting, right? Well, Haley, this has been fantastic. And thank you for sharing your role and how you work alongside this group to give these people back the ability to perform the mundane ADLs, but also that they can reach for the stars and go back to what they were doing before and their leisure activities and their sports and their work and whatnot. So we appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so kind of you to invite me and thank everyone for their kind attention. And just want to highlight the collaboration with the team. So as the hand therapist, you're collaborating with the patient and their family, but even the prosthetist, the surgeon, referring physician, and even beyond that scope. So thank you again for inviting me. It's, it's been so much fun talking to you guys. That's such a great theme for hand therapy, I think, just the collaboration. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing what it looks like in your world, too. Absolutely. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hands in Motion brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. You can listen on the ASHT website and or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Google, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Once subscribed, please rate and review the podcast to help us reach new listeners and to continue offering valuable, relevant content. You've been listening to Hands in Motion brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. To learn more about ASHT and to subscribe to the show, please visit ASHT.org. We'll see you next time on the Hands in Motion podcast. Podcast.